All right. So, well, this podcast is called Chaotic Theories, which I think right now is appropriate because I'm just trying to get some of the thoughts and feelings that I have um, out of my head. Um, this morning in my prayer time, <clears throat> God, I think, really reminded me that um, the word he gave me was to share what I've learned. And I think that after 10 years of being a pastor and preaching almost every week, essentially that was one of the ways in which I processed my own life. Um, I believe that preaching is supposed to be expositional, it's supposed to be educational, it's supposed to be didactic, uh, but at the same time, true preaching is personal and it is, um, as, <clears throat> as Paul writes, uh, an extension to follow me as I follow Christ. It is not just to learn knowledge, um, but to see somebody's life. And I think that when I stopped becoming a pastor, um, that part of how I processed information, um, how I processed the Holy Spirit's working in my life was absent, maybe is the right word? Yeah, absent, absent for a while. And I've been really glad that in the last few months um, through a revival of just prayer in my life and with Hannah, who is here opposite me, but she's doing work. And so if I say anything really heretical, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will uh, allow her to hear it and rebuke me. Um, but yeah, we've been praying a lot. and um, But at the same time, I think that there is a burden within me to speak and to share. I don't know if anyone listens. I don't know how much it bothers me, actually, because a lot of times when I put these podcasts out, I just put it out and I put it on Facebook and then the burden is lifted off of me, like I'm done. I think in many ways, um, even when I was preaching on the regular, I really had that call um, like Isaiah um, or Ezekiel to just proclaim um, and then to let the chips fall where they may. So. Uh, what I wanted to kind of share about as a way for me to debrief myself and understand what's going on in my life um, and also to share some thoughts about church uh, is, yeah, my journey with church, specifically over the last mm, four or five months, because it's been, <laughs> it's been crazy. Um, you know, during COVID, obviously everybody, everything was pff, crazy. Uh, and then even as um, COVID, as, as our church went back to in-person services outdoors, the first two, three weeks, this was, I think, January or February-ish, the first two, three weeks I didn't go. And I had, um, I had rational excuses of why not to go. Um, you know, my wife was, or Hannah was, working for um, church and so she had a lot of stuff to do on Sundays I didn't want to get in her way so we had to watch the kids but really I think the reason was yeah my heart just really wasn't into going back to church um, I think it's a very interesting thing question that I had and I still have which is if I'm not paid to go to church would I go to this church and I think a lot of pastors should consider that question, you know, that if we weren't paid to do it, would we come, right? Or would we rather go to another church? And are we making churches the way that we want them to be? Um, and the second thing I think was that, yeah, I was just distant from the calling of what church is supposed to be. Um, so 
that was that. I was not going for a few weeks. Then we had, I had just shot uh, the movie that I'm currently editing, just finished the first past of sound design, uh, which is great, although about a month later than I had anticipated and hoped. Um, I just finished shooting that in December, and so I was starting to edit. I have realized that I hate editing. <laughs> it is it is a drag. I hope I never have to do it again um, in terms of you know a full feature film. Oh gosh, yeah. Anyways, um, so then we had some big financial uh, things come up. We had to rewire our entire house after uh, we decided to get solar panels because it saves money and um, you know it's good for the environment, all that stuff, uh, and. In the process of that, we realized we needed to rewire our entire house, which was not only uh, financially, you know, big, but our whole house had holes in it for a while, and so that was a big struggle. Um, because, as some of you may or may not know, I have not made a whole lot of money <laughs> in the last year and a half. I think that, that I'm very thankful that church has hi hired me to do the pre-recordings, and I've been able to you know, do editing and video recording here and there and um, guest speaking, but yeah, I made a whole lot of money. So that was really, really stressful, financially stressful. And it pushed me to pray, um, you know, it really did. It pushed me to have to talk to God and ask God and, and, um, and ask for help. And then as that was kind of coming to conclusion, um, I went to one Sunday and it was very refreshing. I kind of just experienced it. I don't know if I had thought really about it, but just kind of experienced it because in prayer, God's going to rebuke. And he was rebuking me of why are you not going to church? And I was like, I don't know. I have all these reasons. Um, and then God is like, are they good reasons? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, so I went to church. It was great. And I, I remember, I think it was a Wednesday um, that I had really like the greatest. Oh, wait, no. This is the, I, I jumped forward. I hadn't gone to church yet. Financially, I had that big struggle. And then in the process of rewiring the house, I got depressed. Um, I had about a week, maybe a week and a half, I don't remember, um, of real, I think, depression. Um, and I don't use that word lightly because I know that some people do. Um, but I really think that I was undergoing depression because, yeah, the world was just gray. I didn't really want to, I didn't even really want to eat. And that was, you know, like, I think that's a, that's one of the signs of depression. You know, you don't take joy in simple things anymore. Um, and so, yeah, it was really, it was really gray. I wouldn't say dark, um, but it was gray. Like the whole world was gray. Uh, and I'm really thankful for the structures of church because not only was I part of an accountability group um, of older men, um, but I was also leading an accountability group of younger men. And I think because the financial stuff had already kind of broken down my heart a little bit in terms of being able to ask for help and being able to reach out to people for help. In that depression, I reached out to people for help and I said, this is what I'm feeling. I'm in this gray. and. I asked people to pray for me, and this was over Zoom, um, but still really powerful, and I think it really shook me out of that. And then I went to church, that's the following Sunday, and then the Wednesday, and I don't remember which Wednesday this was, it was sometime in March, I think. Um, <clears throat> the next Wednesday, 
I remember thinking that I just had a great day. I had a great day with my writing, a great day with my editing, um, and I even did a little bit of exercise. And so I remember going to bed that night thinking, wow, this has really been a great day. It turned a corner. The next day I woke up and I couldn't move my legs. <laughs> I had rhabdomyolysis, where my legs seize up, uh, basically like a cramp that won't let go. And yeah, it was incredibly painful. Uh, I couldn't use the bathroom and then I had to use the bathroom. And then in the process of using the bathroom, my legs started seizing and cramping. And thankfully I wiped and I was on the floor uh, and my mother-in-law had to come in and try to pound my legs like relaxed. Um, thankfully, <clears throat> we were able to get a teledoc um, appointment and called the doctor uh, and the doctor was like, you might have this thing called rhabdo, you should go to urgent care, get the test for it. Went for, went in, got it. I don't know what I was expecting. Um, I knew that the cramps were bad and but then what ended up happening was I was in the hospital for five days, uh, completely unexpected, still unknown as to how and why my legs got rhabdo. Um, and I think it was then because I was just lying in bed, could barely move, literally had to get help every time I used, um, I went number two. And it was very humbling. It was very humbling. It was very, it was very revealing, um, I think, of the condition of my life, the condition of my heart. And in that process, I think I was thinking a lot about church um, because I had to watch the next church service on my phone in a hospital room. And that was very, it's weird because I had been to church the week before. I had um pre-recorded you know the praise for this uh this worship and for a whole year i mean i've been watching service online like most of you like many of us right for a whole year but watching it from a hospital bed is a different experience than watching it in the, your living room watching it in your hospital bed and having just the week before been able to worship with people there was a different yearning. Um, it wasn't a, I want to go back to normal. It wasn't I miss what I used to have. I think what that did, um, and this is why I'm sharing this and processing, I think what that did was it gave me desire for the things of church without any framework of how those things are supposed to happen. I think being in a hospital bed and your legs not working and having essentially for the last few days had to completely figure out how to take care of our children and how to manage all the things that I thought was supposed to happen that all of a sudden was not happening. And at the same time having to reorient and redefine the things that are important like how am I going to eat how am I going to use the bathroom how am I going to fall asleep and at the same time having this tremendous fear because the rhabdo the interesting thing is until the that the the, the creatine toxin clears your body 
Um, basically, my legs were in danger of terribly seizing and cramping at any moment um, that I overexerted them. You know, and I look back on that and I'm like, I think spiritually it was just a reflection of everything that's going on spiritually. I think in COVID, how many of us spiritually, emotionally, mentally were on the verge of cramping, on the verge of, of breaking down and we were trying so hard to just not break down, to just not cramp. And COVID, what it did was all of our plans for 2020 all got rearranged. Everything had to be reoriented and shifted and, and we had to adapt. And so in this like five days in the hospital, starting with that first traumatic day um, with cramps on the floor of my bathroom, um, <clears throat> I think I, it was a reflection of just my spiritual life. And um, so coming out of that, it was really interesting because we had planned a uh, mountain trip uh, with two of the people that are in our bubble. Um, we had planned that before I got the rhabdo. I had asked the doctor, do you think I'll be ready to go to the cabin in Arrowhead? And the doctor was like, I think you'll be fine. You know, like it's up to you. But she, but she thought that I would be fine with it. <clears throat> um, and so we went. <laughs> I, I was still chicken legging. Not only then did I have to rely on my wife, my mother-in-law, I had to rely on two church members. I had to rely on two people who... Um, funny, one of them, the day I got rhabdo, and I think I knew that I was at least cramping, but I couldn't move. And we like called her and was like, come, can you bring me Gatorade? Uh, which I've learned Gatorade is actually not that good for cramping. You should do something that has more electrolytes. Anyways, um, <clears throat> it was really good. I had to rely on my children too for things, and that was fun. And that... I think as well kind of has been shaping my thought on church, which even right now is sort of the difficulty, but part of what makes church hard, part of what I think makes people so resistant to really embracing what church could be, is you gotta ask for help. It has to be joint. Even this past Sunday, I needed to record for our VBS um, and I'd asked one person for help and I thought that was fine. And then after lunch and I'm tired and all of a sudden I realize I have to carry six cameras down to the main sanctuary plus a bunch of lighting gear. But because there were people that I had eaten lunch with, I just asked them for help and then they helped me and it was super fast. And that's, I think, something that I've been learning more about what that means as an adult member. You know, I understood that as a youth pastor and that help so often, you know, was help for a purpose that was external. Oh, you're doing it for the children. You're doing it for our students. Help me because really you're helping them. I think as an Asian American, that's a lot easier to do. It's a lot easier to, for me to ask for help for somebody else than it is for myself. Yet when it came to the when it came to the financial struggle, when it came to my depression, emotional struggle, when it came to the rhabdo, my physical struggle, I had to ask for help, and I couldn't ask for help for something else. It wasn't like I was asking, you know, for help for, you know, some mission field or anything like that. I was asking help for me. I was asking help for myself, and. 
man, I was a pastor for 10 years. I studied the Bible, got paid to study the Bible. And it was hard for me. It was hard for me to ask for help. And so I'm really, you know, being reminded that for a lot of people who are coming out of COVID, even if you've been in church, a church, a regular church going member, even if you have been a Christian for years, it's hard. It's hard to ask for help for myself. How do I come back from this? Not just come back, but how do I discover something new? How do I find, how do I find what God is leading me into and not just wanting to go back to Egypt? You know, in, in the Bible, when they leave Exodus and they keep saying, oh, I want to go back to Egypt, I think I often, you know, I'm harsh on them because I'm like, why would you want to go back to being a slave, right? That seems awful. I wonder, <laughs> though, for different of the Israelites, what part were they thinking? For some of the older members, maybe they were thinking, I want to go back to Egypt before we were slaves, before this new pharaoh made us slaves. I wonder for some of the younger Israelites, they were thinking, can we go back to Egypt, but just with the gold that we got, <laughs> right? Like all the Egyptians, they gave us all their stuff. Can't we just go back with this, right? Can I go back to the way things were with just a little bit more of God's blessing? And when we're coming back from COVID, I realize that is my temptation. One of the things that has shaken me out of that, and I look forward to all of this being shared very soon, is I had the privilege to record the micro talks for the upcoming solar conference. Um, Normally, solar conference is this in-person affair with uh, plenary speakers and micro talks. Because of COVID, they had decided to pre-record it. Um, and I was very grateful to be able to go, uh, not only because, well, initially it was because I was getting paid for it and I need money right now. So that was great. Um, and I hadn't really thought about the spiritual aspect of it because, you know, I'll be, I'll be frank. Um, these older Asian male pastors, I've heard their sermons before. <laughs> I've heard the, the content before. Now, one of the things God did rebuke me on was just because you've heard it before doesn't mean you don't need to hear it again. And so as I was recording some of the older Asian male pastors, um, I was like, oh, I did need to hear this again. And I was very grateful for that. But one of the things that really, I think, impacted me was two of the micro talks were by uh, by Asian American females um, who were uh, both professors um, and hearing them share about the history of the Asian American church, about the current conditions of the Asian American church from a female perspective. One of the things I think it made me realize was how unique we are. And by we, I mean Asian American, Southern California, millennial, second generation church. Each one of those has so much nuance to it that is different. To be Asian American is different. You know, we have different perspectives. We have different upbringings. We have different um, intrinsic biases and Part of the difficulty is we are just now, I think, as a collective group, 
beginning to think about it and articulate what those perspectives are. Well, then if that's the case, then the way we've often done church has been modeled, and in my case, um, has mostly been modeled off of conservative, white, southern, evangelical male churches. Nothing, well, okay, nothing intrinsically wrong with that because those churches do benefit a lot of people and bring people to Christ, and that's amazing. But there are things about being Asian American in which the message of the gospel must have a different context or must be contextualized differently. Southern California is a different thing. A lot of churches in America, when they think about their members that have to drive far, how long is that drive? When I was growing up in Houston um, and the church that I was saved at, um, our distant members were 20 minutes away without traffic, right? Oh my God, I gotta drive 20 minutes, right? To go uh, drop off my friend. LA is different, y'all, LA is different. Our church, people are driving an hour from different directions um, to come to church. How does that change the way we do church? The fact that we are second generation and with Sola, I'm loving a lot of these conversations about this second generation church uh, and what that means when there is a language difficulty, when there is cultural difficulties. To be middle class and to be millennial, I'm really now as I'm talking to more of my peers, which as a youth pastor didn't do as much, and realizing the struggle that is there, the way that greed manifests itself differently for us as millennials. Why? Because my greed isn't in wanting to buy a yacht, right? Although, you know, give me a yacht, sure, right? It's not in that. It's in not wanting the colossal weight of $100,000 worth of debt to crush my soul. <laughs> That's a different attack of greed. If this is the case, if that's the case, then I think coming out of that season, March, um, and the last month and a half of April into what is now May, I think I'm trying to wrap my head around if that's the mission field, if we see ourselves as a mission field. You, if you, you did church a certain way in the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia, and then you were called to be a missionary in Kyrgyzstan or Sudan or Afghanistan, um, or even if you were called to be a missionary in New Zealand or um, Germany or France, you wouldn't do church the same way. There would be, there would have to be a legitimate, uh, intentional time to say, what is the heart of church? What is the heart, God's heart about church? Now, how do we adjust our methods to that? And that's, I think, the question that I'm trying to wrestle with. Asian American, Southern California, millennial, Gen Z, middle class, as a mission field, what do I need? 
what do I need? What do I need to grow spiritually? What do I need to be in this intimate relationship with God? And then how do we do that? How do we build that? How do I build that in my own life is the struggle. And there's a couple things that I've hit upon in the last few months that I'm now trying to experiment with. And I'll share about a little bit about that. And a lot of it comes from one of the core foundational, I think, theologies for me when it comes to ecclesiology, the study of the church, um, or even to sanctification, the study of um, how we grow in God after we are saved, is this core premise that um, Jesus said when asked what was the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I believe that that is a blueprint for relationship because what is the greatest command? What is the goal of salvation and sanctification? Is to be reunited with Christ, right? Atonement, um, reconciled with God. And reconciliation is about the restoration of relationship. It is about having a relationship with God. That's why we say salvation is not um, whatever it is not, right? It's a relationship that religion is a relationship. Well, then the blueprint for that relationship is what Jesus said. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Your mind, your knowledge, your mental capacity, your understanding. Your heart, your emotions, your feelings, your confidence, your strength, your service, your body, your money, I believe, is usually included in that. And your soul, which is your life, your your entirety, the 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 way in which the different parts of who you are connect. Well, when I think about it that way, I look at if my min, if my minimum, if my only, if my only spiritual discipline, my only holy habit, um, as I think I don't remember if one Pastor P. Mike or um, Pastor DC preached on a few months ago, which was a great message and such a timely message. Um, if our only holy habit is going to church on Sundays, that's good. Why is that good? Because the way in which we have modeled Sunday services off of a white, you know, Southern evangelical model, it is very knowledge heavy. It is very mental heavy. Um, we do a call to worship. We read scripture. We do a confession and assurance in which oftentimes the scripture reading is longer than the prayer time. Actually, most of the time, I I edited the, 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 the I edited the uh, the the, ser the the worship services, so I know that they're longer. Uh, and then you know, in an hour fifteen um, a service, it is about 45, 30 to forty five minutes, and it tends to be forty five minutes of sermon. That's a knowledge worship, and that's important because I have seen and continue to see people that know nothing of God. They don't know the Bible. They don't know who the, they don't know the divided kingdom. They don't know about the exile. They don't know about Pentecost. Yeah, you're not gonna have a great relationship with somebody you know nothing about. <laughs> it's just like, like, that's like that's not how it works. Part of getting to know somebody, part of having a relationship, is knowing them. So our Sunday services are very knowledge worship heavy, but I think that. If you only have that, you're gonna have an imbalanced relationship. 
if that was my relationship with my wife where we just talked about stuff we never did anything together we never had emotional you know romantic dates or romantic times we didn't plan our lives together right if i just came home and was like oh honey i'm i got a new job today and she's like oh yeah sure whatever i don't care like that's not a relationship that's not a real good relationship at the same time, if I don't know anything about her, if I'm like, oh, you're, you have a middle name? I didn't know you're, like, that's pretty bad too, right? And so I think that even in that year of COVID and just watching services and pretty much that being for a few solid months, the extent of my spiritual discipline, of my holy habit, of my worship, you know, there is a fatigue. There is a, a feeling that something is wrong because it's imbalanced. I think that many of our church members, and myself included, when before COVID, we met part of that balance with service, with our strength. People that would go to, you know, go to their own worship and then go serve in high school or junior high, and then you would serve. And then, so there was a part of you that was building another relationship with God, whether we articulated and understood it or not, um, that was building a relationship with God through our service. <clears throat> but what about our hearts? I mean, what, what, what about our emotions? And even when I've talked to people about how they've wrestled during COVID, how much of it has been an emotional wrestling, like my depression, like the gray, how much of it is, I just feel so distant. I feel so lonely. I feel so fatigued. I feel so out of place. I feel so lost. Well, maybe a part of the reason that has been such a struggle for me, or not for me, I'm realizing it is, and I, the reason I share this is because maybe it is for you, that we don't know how to emotionally grow with God. We haven't really emotionally grown with God. And maybe it's not that we don't know. Actually, I think I said that wrong. Um, we do know, because we've done it before when we were in junior high and high school, or when we served in junior high and high school. When we go to retreats and we get this emotional high that the conservativeness in us wants to shut down, and I believe that that is sin, that wants to discredit the emotional high. Uh, and I've shared this on almost every retreat, and you know, the last few retreats I did, I've shared this every time, to enjoy the emotional high because it's the reason I go on a romantic date with my wife. It's the reason we book a hotel room and have a nice dinner and want to spend that time away. Why? Because I want an emotional high with her. I want that emotional moment in our relationship. Well, God wants that too. And we know how to get it. We know how to get it. We dedicate and we sing. It's the power of music. It's the power of music to sing and to, to, to let your voice resonate. Um, you know, one of the things I love about singing, especially when the music is loud and the subwoofer or the bass guitar is just rumbling and you've got a choir or at least like four or five singers is because no matter the timbre of your voice, no matter the quality of your pitch, right, you feel it inside of you. You feel the vibrations inside of you. That's powerful, especially when the words are reminding you of God's goodness, God's faithfulness, are reminding you of the gospel. That's how you feel it. It's why I believe that I would have people all the time um, as a youth pastor, you know, elders and deacons and other pastors tell me that I could 
experiment with whatever else that I wanted, but I couldn't cancel retreat. They said, you cannot cancel. They, they would even say, we will fundraise, we will donate um, to make sure that retreats happen. That was why even when I proposed to allow for very generous financial aid for people to come to church, to come to retreats, um, and I think for non-believers to come for free, there's always, there's overwhelming support um, at our church for that. Why? Because we know that emotional value. We know that that value is there and it cannot be had by just learning about it. It cannot be had by just spectating retreat or spectating worship. You see, if we stand there and we just watch, if you went to a concert like that, you would not experience the fullness of the concert. If you went to, if we went to our children's performances the way we go sometimes to church retreat, our kids would be traumatized. <laughs> oh yeah, daddy came to my orchestra performance, but then he was on his phone like halfway through the time and he didn't really remember anything and he wasn't really listening. Our hearts need to grow. And so one of the ways that I've been just rediscovering is that power of music. Um, I think it happened on accident. It might have happened when I was depressed, actually, where one of the guys that I've been discipling, we just started singing. Oh, and I discovered, no, wait, I, I, the first start, I don't even remember how I discovered, actually, um, was Austin Stone Worship. Um, they had an album last year that I think I just, I had found, maybe it was when I was depressed, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, worship and just singing out loud to a YouTube video. And I'll be honest, there's so much pride that needs to be torn down for that because I have this pride that says I'm too good for that. I'm too good to worship along to a YouTube video. I'm too good to just play, like somebody, somebody needs to have a guitar, right? And know how to play guitar. Somebody needs to, you know, put this thing together for me. And that really had to get torn down um, so that, yeah, I can just play a YouTube video. And I recently discovered Hillsong Now has a bunch of stuff and all the, you know, I think increasingly, I think there, there's more and more free resources. And, you know, I've even considered, right? Like I pay $8 a month uh, more for Disney Plus, for Hulu. Um, if I can't pay that for worship, that's probably a problem. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, eight bucks, 10 bucks, 15 bucks a month, if you're already doing that, right, for worship, and if not, YouTube for free, to be able to just sing. And it's a struggle. And so this past Sunday <clears throat> um, was our first Sunday back in worship, in, in, in worshiping in the gym. I gotta be honest. Man, the fight against discouragement for me was much greater. Outside in the courtyard, there was, I just, I felt a lot a, peop, a lot more people being free. And I don't know if that's because the lighting, you know, was better. I don't know if that's because there's kids running around or even, you know, people that brought their dogs, which is like so fun. Um, I don't know if it's because there was this, understanding from everybody that the leadership was struggling <laughs> you know that dag was leading on his solo guitar and he needed our help 
But this Sunday, every time I opened my eyes and looked around during praise, ooh, it was dead. It, it was it was dead. Now, again, I always try to say I, I, I don't want to measure people's hearts, right? So I don't want to judge people's hearts. I believe there are some people who can worship with their bodies stiff as boards and with their mouths shut and their eyes glazed over. <laughs> but it's not a lot. <laughs> it's that, that, that should not be the norm. If you are one of those anomalous people, then I would love to hear how that works for you because it does not work for me. Um, if I'm standing still like that, uh, like a zombie, then I'm going to feel like a zombie. Um, and then, you know, we had, I had invited some of the people that we had done discipleship with in our bubble because for next week for Pentecost, we wanted to open up um, more. Uh, I'll be fully, we're two days away from fully vaccinated, so I think uh, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. But, you know, we invited some of people that we've been discipling who know a lot about God, who we've been walking through in their lives. And there's good and there's bad. It's difficult. I think I was really reminded by God that this is going to be difficult. Um, and so let me back up just one step. Uh, when I think about putting those ideas together, right, my own kind of rediscovery of the heart of God and what that means, heart, soul, mind, and strength to worship God and the Asian American, Southern California, millennial, Gen Z, middle class, second generation experience. I don't think we know how to do this. I don't think that there has been a game plan that has been set up that really knows how to do this. And I look at church across the board. I think we know how to do older, I don't know what's above millennial, but whatever that generation is above millennial, I think they figured out a way that worked for them. I think we figured out a way that works for kids, right? Retreats and these fellowships Friday night. But for those of us who maybe you fall into those same categories as me, I don't know any church that has really figured out a blueprint of how do we help these people grow in the Lord, become disciples and make disciples. My experiments, therefore, right now, and if you have listened this far, it's because you're interested in my experiment. <laughs> I appreciate that, I really do. And I'll talk about maybe a little bit why that is, but. I, my experiment is the Southern California-ness makes midweek gatherings really hard. I do not want to drive an hour through traffic for a one and a half hour prayer meeting that's really just another service. I don't want to drive, I'm not going to leave my family, especially in order to just hear another sermon that I could hear on Zoom, that I could hear on YouTube if that's it. <clears throat> the Asian American-ness means that I have a really hard time getting that community from people who are learning to overcome their biases against me. I, you know, white people, Latinx, um, black Americans, um, a lot of great ministry going on in all those different sphere spheres. But the same way that 
<clears throat> I am having to work out my anti-white racism, my anti, um, you know, my prejudices. It makes it hard, right? There's a certain kind of community that is there and that we need and we need to be a part of. But as well, that sense of belonging, like you, you need to be with people who can, who have laid down their biases against you. <clears throat> so we have to do it in the Asian American sphere. We can't do it in a white sphere. We can't do it in a black sphere. We can't do it in a brown sphere. We have to do it in a yellow sphere, in our Asian American sphere. That Gen Z millennial struggle, right? You know, I even hear messages sometimes that talk about, you know, laying down our lives and not giving up, right? All these things, um, not giving into idolatry. But for somebody that has $100,000 in debt because they believed in the idol of educational success and are now in a job that will not pay that debt off for the next 30 years, which means that they probably can't really afford a house either for the next 20 years unless they go into massively more debt that message falls flat without contextualization. So we gotta do it in our current context. How, 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 how is the question. I get the why now, and hopefully I've explained well enough the why and the goal, but how? Well, I think one for me, one of the places to start is Sunday. The idea of a Sabbath is more than going to church for an hour and a half. The idea of a Sabbath is to take an entire day in all four spheres of relationship to reconnect to God and to one another. We are, I'm not doing that, right, on the regular, have not been. I think before when a bunch of people came to my house every Sunday, there were elements there. There was the community element there. So your kind of, your strength, your soul felt there. Um, but there should, there could be more. Maybe should, I, I, I want to try to stop saying that in my own mind because it, get, it makes me judgmental and it makes me feel guilty. Um, I think could, the possibility, right? Would God save us just with the ascertaining knowledge of the gospel? Yes, right? Like we believe, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But yet the joy of sanctification, the joy of ecclesiology is could there be more? Could there be more than just salvation? Could there be this life that is full and at peace and in joy and excited and vibrant with the gospel in every element in our family lives, in our career, in our home lives, in our friendships, in our evangelism. Yes, I believe that that could be. And if that could be, then is that not worth trying to get? And the way that which God has prescribed historically, and I believe even presently, is the idea of the Sabbath. To remember to keep the Sabbath, to make this important, so important that it is the third commandment, the second commandment. Gosh, I'm so sorry, I don't remember that. Um, but one of the early commandments, right? To keep the Sabbath, to honor the Sabbath. God is saying, this is so important. You need to have this growing relationship with me. And when I realized that, and it kind of opened up, why don't we maximize Sunday? because it's hard. But though it is hard, I realize we have a blueprint for that. The blueprint is a retreat. 
there's a standard retreat full day blueprint. And if you've been to retreats, you know what it is. There's a breakfast, there is a gathering, there is a more knowledge-based morning worship, kind of like our Sunday services, and then there is lunch together, then there is fellowship, and the games don't even have to be all that great, it's just the fact that we're doing it together. Then it is intentional, right, conversations, small groups, then it is dinner together, and then it is extended worship. You know, if, if I went to a retreat and the evening worship only had four songs, you know, I'm, I feel gypped, <laughs> right? I, I would feel so gypped, right? Like, you're going to play four songs at evening worship and retreat? Come on. You know, I joke all the time, and I really believe it. Four songs is a warm-up, right? For most people. For me, definitely. Four songs is a warm-up. So we know. We know how to engage all four quadrants of our relationship. Why can't we do that on a Sunday? That was a question that I think I had very recently, maybe like two, three weeks ago. Why, why, why can't we do this on a Sunday? You know, we can wake up early. We can go to church, intentionally gather and pray. This is the, I think the third or fourth Sunday now. And, you know, a couple of people show up and we pray and it's so good. And not just like your dear God, thank you for this day. Bless this worship. Now you say the exact same thing, but in different words. And when we each go around one time, we finish. That's great, you know? I think there's, there's again, there's a, that's a tool that is useful, but that's not bringing our hearts into worship. When we have a group of three, and I think the maximum really is probably four, um, and you do 30 minutes, you're gonna start really praying. You're gonna start really praying for people you hadn't thought of. You're gonna start really praying about yourself in a way that you've been reluctant to, that you've been holding back to, and you just can't do that in 30 seconds. If I tried to explain everything that I'm explaining right now, and it's long, guys. I'm, if you're still here, again, I appreciate this so much. But it takes a while. Like That's the thing. Prayer takes a while, not because we're trying to figure out the perfect thing to say. It takes a while because relationshiping with God, God, it takes time. Imagine if I went again on a, I'm feeling distant from my wife, Hannah, and, and, and I go on a date with her and I say, hey, I booked this amazing restaurant, you know, we're here on this date, um, but I really got to leave in 15 minutes. <laughs> so, you know, well, so let's, let's, let's get everything out, right? Because I, I got something to do in 15 minutes. Our relationship would not go well. It was, that would that would not fly, right? That is a that is a hot soup to the face kind of thing to say on a date. Um, we gotta pray, you know. And so by the time you get into singing, you've been reconciled with God. That call to worship, it, 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 it's not a call from afar. It is a call. From, it is a it is a call. Like when I call my kids in to eat dinner, right? That we are here, we are already here, and now we are gonna move into this next place. And then we learn. And then to me, I think lunch is so important. And it's this thing where coming back from COVID, maybe we have lost the rhythms of lunch. We lost how to invite people. We lost how we forgot how to ask who's, hey, who's going to lunch? Can I come to lunch with you, right? We don't have obviously lunch, you know, snacks provided at church. Um, 
and we got to figure it out. And I'm, I was talking to a college student um, who's going to be helping me, helping me with the bowling, um, upcoming bowling fellowship, and just asking her, is there a way, is there a tool, you know, like I just learned about Discord, you know, like six months ago, right? And I'm like, is there a tool we can use to help people not be left out for lunch? I, I can't think of anything that would devastate my worship more and make me feel so distant from church than being forgotten about after Sunday, after service. And I say that because last week, like eight days ago, that kind of happened to Hannah and I. You know, we were taking care of some stuff and, you know, our kids were in the cry room and so I'm in there. And all of a sudden I realize everybody's left for lunch. And I had I talked to people like, hey, you want to do lunch? You want to do this? And it was Mother's Day, so a lot of people said, you know, like, oh, we got plans, we got plans, we got plans. But man, to sit there at church, and then especially to see on like Instagram and stuff later, right? That oh, they didn't go eat with their mothers; they went to go eat with their friends. And I was alone. That hurts, man. It hurts. And again, I've been a pastor for ten years. I am relatively secure in the Lord and it still hurt if you were a newcomer or you were somebody that was coming back to church after years and that happened to you would you go back the next week I wouldn't I wouldn't so we got to figure out lunch lunch is worship I think I'm I'm, I'm trying to remember that Lunch is a part of our worship. <clears throat> and when we go to lunch, the things we talk about, you know, I tried to corral people and I did this past Sunday and I was really grateful. But one of the things I realized is the next struggle is what do we talk about at lunch? Because one of the funny things I've noticed talking with adults, and I actually, in this way, I really enjoy talking with like high school kids more during lunch. Um, because whenever I talk with adults, male adults, maybe it's the same with females, but at least a lot of my male groups, almost every conversation will end up a conversation about cryptocurrency and the stock market <laughs> and about making money. I think that's very telling. It is a rebuke in my own life. Because how often have I caught myself now or do I do catch myself now falling into that? And it's not in this ambitious way. It's not in this optimistic way. It's in a pessimistic way. It's in a complaining way. It ends up being a, 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 a conversation about complaining about how we don't have enough money and how we wish we had more money. And if only I had done this thing, I would have had more money. Lunch needs to be worship. And that includes what we talk about, how we talk about it. And the best way to do that is if we have already started our day with prayer and praying for people, praying for people before worship starts, because now then hopefully you can go to lunch saying, I want to know you. I want to hear your story. I want to care about you. I do care about you. And if that heart shifts, then I think the what we talk about will shift during lunch. 
and then let's have fun. It's the reason why we're planning bowling this Sunday. We didn't get to go Sunday from uh, to Caltech on Mother's Day, you know, and so I'm gonna take my kids. Hopefully, that I think is our plan. Either that or the museum at UCLA, but Caltech maybe I think is better for some Pasadena people. Um, let's go to Caltech. Let's have a picnic together. Let's grab lunch. Let's go. Let's hang out. A few weeks ago, we were gonna go to Descanso Gardens with one other couple. And that one couple became like four couples and that four couples became like eight couples. And it was life-giving to walk around nature, to be with people without a time limit, without an agenda, without um, just free, you know? Um, again, there's no reason we cannot have that every Sunday. What does it take? It takes a little bit of logisticking. It takes a little bit of saying, hey, this is what we're gonna go do and everybody is invited, you are invited. It takes people accepting that invitation and that's hard for me and I, I, I realize this too, that I'm always so afraid of people feeling left out that I just invite everybody. But then sometimes when you invite everybody, people feel left out. People want to be special and that's not bad, right? That's not something you need to, man up and get over and god i hate that mentality um it's just something i'm not good at <laughs> i am not good at reaching out to people individually i'm not good i'm good at bullhorning things like i'm doing with this podcast right like um and so i need that help from those of you who that is your gift that is your gift where you can you know message somebody and say i really want to go with you not just I really want to go, not just I really want to go overall, but I really want to go with you. Come with me. Um, yeah, let's do that. Let's hang out. And then my experiment, this is again, this is all experiment right now, so it's all open to change because I don't know if it's going to work. And I think it's something we got to finagle and maybe it won't work. And anyways, but at least the experiment right now, um, we opened up our house every Sunday and so many people would come over before um, to hang out, to eat. And I think there's some things that we had begun to miss. We'd begun to miss really breaking bread at dinner together, eating dinner together. People just kind of picked up food whenever, ate at separate times and you lose a sense of community. There's some, there's a power. That's why Jesus did communion, right? Because there's a power in doing it together. So coming home, breaking bread, eating together, and then having prayer time again. Start the day with prayer, end the day with prayer, but a different kind of prayer, you know? There's a different kind of prayer after we've heard the word, after we've fellowshiped, after we've bonded. And then we pray, you know, for longer than two minutes, for, wow, 30 minutes. And I know there's some of you where if I say pray for 30 minutes, you freeze in fear or you flee in terror or you want to fight me. And yet, isn't it so surprising that you can talk to that same friend, right? I can put two people in a prayer circle and they can talk for 30 minutes. And yet they're terrified of praying for 30 minutes. And that's something we gotta grow in because talking to God is great. It's refreshing. And maybe it's because we haven't shown people how to do it. Maybe it's because we haven't taught people how to do it. So that's what I think we wanna do. And then to sing, to really sing, for an hour. And I'm reali I realized this week that part of the hurdle of that is 
A, you have to know the songs. That's why Dag posts the songs on Spotify and on Apple Music the week before, because if you don't know the song, you are going to be a spectator. You're not going to be a participant. You're going to be a spectator. Unless, and this is a thought I had this morning, unless your heart is that malleable, unless your heart is that soft and that open to God. And that may be another thing that for me is being shifted. I realized that pretty much from maybe 2016 to 2020, I wasn't listening to new Christian music, to new praise music. I had fallen into just wanting to listen to the music that I was used to, that I grew up in. And that, I believe, is sinful. And I'll explain why. If we are going to worship in heaven for all eternity, how are you going to do that if you only want to listen to four albums? <laughs> how are you only going to do that if you only want to listen to the praise music that you listened to when you were 19? A lot of us old people, we don't want to learn new music because of pride, because of fear, because of a lack of humility, because of a lack of love. And then we become critical. We judge this new music. Oh my gosh, how could you put auto-tune into a praise song? Oh my God, how could you put 808s into a praise song? Oh, how could you use a drum pad? I've heard these things before as a pastor. I've heard people say, we need to only sing hymns, which is all I always think is funny because I'm like, what did they sing before the hymns were written? <laughs> hymns at some point were contemporary music. It's pride. I, I don't know, any, I, I hope I can say that gently, right? It is pride. If we are not learning new music, it is because of something in our hearts that is resistant to God showing us new loves. I think you can be a worshipful spectator if your heart is open. If you can see, listen, these are Christian brothers and sisters who have talents by God, like Oholiab building the temple. And I want to see their art. I want to experience their art. I want to feel their worship. I wonder how much of our Sunday worship is struggling because people want to just worship the way they want to worship. And and you got and, and that's a scary thing, right? If I say I can only really worship if the songs are playing the way I want them to play. If the songs I like are playing isn't that idolatry? I mean, isn't that why Jeroboam built the golden calves? Isn't that why Aaron built the golden calves? Hey, I know God is there, but the only way I can feel comfortable is if God works the way I want him to work. If God looks the way I want him to look. If God sounds the way I want him to sound. Yeah, man, we got to sing. And a part of growing in that emotional worship is singing new songs. I think it's, I, I think, it, and I, again, I, I bring it back to my wife and I. Imagine we have a fantastic date at this one restaurant, and then we have this, and it continues, this fantastic date, right? At, we book a hotel room and have a great, that is a great hotel room. And so the next time we have a date, I say, let's go back to that restaurant and let's go back to that hotel. She'd be like, okay. 
And our next date, let's go back to that same hotel. Let's we'll go back to that same restaurant, order the exact same thing. Uh, okay. <laughs> how, how quickly would, would that lose its charm? It's not that it wasn't a great restaurant. It's not that it wasn't a great hotel room. And in fact, <laughs> you know, in a year or two, right, we may decide to go back and then the nostalgia will make both of those grow. But if I think that's the only way we can grow in relationship, then again, I'm missing something. To end the night exhausted, but full. To end every Sunday feeling like we're coming back from retreat. And then as, again, a millennial and not a high school college student, to do all of that by 9.30. <laughs> so you can go home and go to sleep and go to your job refreshed and invigorated so that you have this passion now to evangelize to your coworkers so that you can spend Friday nights with them because you're not coming to driving an hour through traffic to go to church. You can evangelize to your coworkers or spend time with your family or minister to your children. Why? Because you're so full on the Sabbath that you have that energy. That's what I'm looking for. That's my dream right now. That's my goal, my vision. I'm trying to figure it out for myself and I want to invite people to come along. I don't know who's going to come along, which as I'm reading, reading the New Testament, I realize is just the way of things. There's some of you that I've walked with for so many years and I will continue to walk with and I'll continue to love and I'll continue to invite. And God is tugging on your heart to fall, to, to try, to, to live not in what is and not in the fear of what might be, but to live in the joy of what could God's blessings be. What could a Sunday, every Sunday, full be? Oh, I need people to come with me. I need people to come with me. I'm not Jesus. I can't do it on my own. I mean, I can do it longer because I follow Jesus, but I can't do it on my own. I'm not Jesus. I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. I need people to, to walk with me and my hope I guess my long-term hope, I've dreamed of discipleship that can really change the world, change communities. But it doesn't happen in an hour and a half on a church Sunday, no matter how big the church is. Even if we could get 100,000 people into a stadium, I don't think it would change in that instant. It changes when people's lives begin to be realigned in worship. That's why Jesus told the rich young ruler who had done all, right, the commandments, sell all you have and follow me. We always fixate on the sell all you have, but he said no because it's holding you back from following me, from really experiencing everything you long for. My hope is, you know, some of you, as we discover this new way for us as Asian American, millennial, Gen Z, young adult, SoCal Christians. This is how we change our city. This is how we become the light and the salt. Maybe, maybe. It's an experiment after all, I don't know. 
but maybe, right? This is how you who cannot imagine what it will be like in 10 years from now when you are married and you've got all this money you never thought you've had and you've got kids who you don't know how to deal with and you're feeling lonely, you'll have a blueprint. You'll have a blueprint for how to grow and you will grow and you will invite others to grow. And I guess that's it. <laughs>